Hello, my name is Robert Cross. Welcome to RNHA News Radio. Tonight, I have Sonny Rubrick running for judge in North Carolina. Welcome, Sonny. Thank you, Robert. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. So, before we get started, could you tell the audience a little bit about yourself, just in case they may not be familiar with you? Yes, my full name is Sunny Penyanavong Ruback. As you mentioned, I am a current candidate for district court judge in Mecklenburg County. And uh, my parents are from a small country uh, called Laos. My parents basically understood that staying in Laos after the secret war would essentially mean raising their children in a communist regime. So in their early 20s, they discussed between themselves that they would essentially trade the only country that they knew. My mom has um, part of the family rice farm. They traded their rice farm for the opportunity to have freedom in America. Let's talk a little bit about that, help more. I know it must be hard for you, but tell us a little more about what the secret war was, because I know a lot of my audience are not history majors like I am. So let's put this in context. The secret war comes essentially at the end of the Vietnam War. Um, many people may or may not know that Laos is the heaviest bombed country. And we were not part of the Vietnam War, but Laos is landlocked. And in order to get through Vietnam, you had to go through Laos. Luckily, my uncle did fight on the American side, and we were able to come to the U.S. on his visa. Robert, what was really hard hard about this journey. Um, I was only two years old and my brother was almost four. My sister was just born. She was a month old. And we had two of my cousins with me who were both toddlers when our parents decided that they were going to go from Baksan, my mom's village, to Vientiane, the capital. And they had to take off their flip-flops because my mom was afraid that the communist soldiers would hear our footsteps. And then when we finally arrived to the Mekong River, my crying grew louder. My mom was afraid that my crying would notify them of our position. I just can't imagine what she felt like knowing that her child's crying or laughter would be a liability. So she kept feeding me pill after pill in order to sedate me. Um, she gave me too much um, when we reached the Mekong River. Luckily, my aunt noticed what was happening. She grabbed my limp body from my mom's arms, submerged me into the Mekong River in order to revive me. And my mom and my dad essentially were willing to risk our lives in order to give us a better future here in America. That is a really touching story. I know it must have been really hard for your family. You know, I, my sister right now is trying to move from Waxhaw to Charlotte. It has taken her over a year to make the decision because of decisions in terms of where her children would be continuing their education, school districts and everything else. I can't imagine what it's like to be in your early 20s, take 
two toddlers and an infant practically overnight and to have to make that decision. They didn't know if they were going to see their siblings again. My grandma has 16 kids, only eight survived. I've got three aunts still in Laos, and my parents didn't know if they were going to see them ever again. I mean, that is a really scary situation to be, especially as a young couple. You know, your parents were in their 20s when they had to make this huge decision, you know, to yeah. get the family out of Laos. Absolutely. And I think, Robert, you and I have spoken about this before. It's, it's also hard because it was the only country that they knew. Laotian was the only language that they spoke. You know, although we assimilated once we got to the United States, we eventually earned our U.S. citizenship. We welcomed a great democracy. They they did not speak a whole lot of English when they first arrived. Uh, it is, it's really hard. And I think the audience should take note of this, that her family had to flee the only country they knew in their 20s with their young children because a communist country had decided to take over Laos and were going to systematically start killing people. And I think that's something important to know. I mean, there's a cost that's paid for all the free stuff that happens in these sort of socialist takeovers. Absolutely. And my, my mom and my dad were terrified to stay in Laos due to my uncle's involvement. And my uncle was the only surviving son in the family. Uh, that is it's sad. I'm really sorry that your family went through so much. What was it like, you know, your parents got out of Laos. What was it like for the people who stayed behind during the secret war that couldn't get out? I talked to my aunt because two of my aunts did stay behind. Uh, what they were afraid because they had, we, we had more cousins and their children were a little older. They stayed behind because of my grandparents who were too elderly to come with us. Uh, they mentioned that it was extremely difficult for them. And had they known the opportunities in the United States, that they would have made different decisions to remain, meaning they, they would have much preferred to come to the United States. Even today, Laos is a third world country. It is very difficult, although my aunts both have homes we rebuilt one of my aunt's house, which is made from wood, um, and it wasn't very sturdy. She, it took years that that house did not finish until pro um, probably about about ten years ago. So she was living basically still. When I go visit, um, there was in a bed, and they live more comfortably than their neighbors today. Yeah, and that is the price of socialism. Your family suffered it. 
In other podcasts, I have talked to some of my Cuban counterparts about what my family went through in uh, Cuba prior to Castro's takeover. I think when people hear these stories, there's like this disconnect, like, you know, you know, oh, it's not that bad, or no, you know, well, it's only the rich people that are getting hurt in communist countries. What would you say to that? Because I know a lot of people have had said that, you know, it's, it's only the rich people who are getting hurt in communist countries. That's absolutely not true. I, I would not agree with that. What I can tell you just on a personal level, Robert, both of my aunts, if they could be here in the United States, they would choose a life in the United States than staying in Laos. Regardless of still having a family rice farm and everything else, um, their children do not have the same opportunities that were provided to my cousins or to me. In America, being first generation, it's the only place where you can go from being a child refugee to dreaming of becoming judge and being able to run for judge. My sister has been an educator for over 16 years. My brother served um, as a Marine. It is in America where we are able to be who we want and do what we want. That is one of the things my grandfather loved about the United States. You know, he used to tell me stories because our family had a, you know, a large uh, farming and export business in Cuba before the war. And he always used to tell me about Cuba and what it was like before Castro's regime. And one thing he always told me, and he's like, you are lucky you were born in America. You know, you can do anything you want here. Yes, and you are very lucky that you were born in America, just as I know that I'm very lucky that the First Baptist Church sponsored my family. And what is different, I also think, is this. In America, my parents didn't speak English. We were poor. I lived in Section 8 housing. My parents had food stamps. I will never forget having to pick eyeglasses from a special drawer reserved for children on Medicaid. But I don't say these things, Robert, so that people feel sorry for me. Even with my background and my upbringing, I feel like my struggles are my blessings and my struggles are nothing compared to my cousins who are still living in Laos. And I still recognize that the struggles that we have do not compare to what my life could have been. I think that's a very optimistic and hopeful message. And hopefully the audience out there is listening. You know, even as, as bad as things are in some places in the United States, we still enjoy more blessings and freedom than most people in third world countries. Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears a little bit because we've talked about sort of the, your struggles to getting where you're at. 
what motivated you to want to run for judge? And you know, I don't, I don't know a whole lot of people um, from the Lao community who actually went to law school and decided this career path. When I was a young child, I didn't know what the LSAT was or what an attorney actually did. I just knew that there was a void in our community and I wanted to do something to make a difference. So I went to law school thinking that I was actually going to do immigration law when I finished. And the same thing motivates me to run for judge. You know, I look around Mecklenburg County, which is the largest in terms of the cities of the Carolinas. And I've been practicing for over 10 years. Yes, we have to have the right candidate in office and the candidate matters. But it also bewilders me that I have never taken a case in my 10 plus years in district court or superior court in front of either an Asian American or Hispanic American judge. I understand that there was Hispanic American judge he um, was no longer in Superior Court by the time that I started practicing law. And in my time practicing law, my opportunities, I have never taken a case in front of any of those individuals. I want to do the right thing. I also want to show our communities that the door is open to all of us. And if we want to run for judge, we should. And this is what I want to do. I'm just as qualified. I'm just as eager. And I want to do the right thing just as anyone else. Um, what motivates me, Robert, is this. People along the way have always given me positive energy. Right now, there's one individual who motivates me. He is 82 years old. I have never met this gentleman, but he called me when he heard that I was running for judge. Although he did not have children of his own, he actually fought so that I can have this opportunity. He's one of the soldiers that we recognized on the Pence call a few nights ago. And what he said to me was this, Miss Sonny, I have wondered why people have not taking the opportunity that we have fought so hard, knowing that you graduated from law school, knowing that you would run for judge, makes me so proud of you that regardless of the result, I need you to know that this is the reason why we fought so hard so that all of our children can have this opportunity and they will take the opportunity. When people ask me, why are you running for judge? It's his comment and his belief that I always respond with, why not? I think that's another thing the audience you know, needs to really take into heart. You know, I come from California. I moved out to Texas. Growing up in our school system, especially, you know, I was a, a white Hispanic in school, but you'd hear this and the teachers would always say there's this glass ceiling, there's this, this limit in 
unless you're you know you're white or you're Christian or you're male there's no way you can break through that ceiling you're limited in what you're due the system has you down and I think the most encouraging thing in the world for our audience to see is here we have you Sonny running for judge and you're like I don't care I'm gonna do it anyways and that's a message I think that has been lost on our youth like it doesn't matter the labels that society puts on you or the limitations society puts on you if you're willing to go after your dreams and take them anyways and sometimes it's not just society I'm glad that you brought that up, Robert, because growing up in an Asian American household, you know, it's changed a lot, thank goodness. But males were more revered. Resources went to males. In fact, my uncle told me when I told him I wanted to go to law school, he reminded me, your eyes are brown, your hair is black, and you are a girl. What makes you think that you, you can do this? if none of the boys in the family have, ha, has done it. And I think that you have to have something within you that says no matter who tells you that you can't do something, you have to believe. And what makes me believe is my uncle who fought so hard to get us to America, my other uncle, you know what I mean? And this gentleman who doesn't even know me, who would call me and give me words of encouragement because it's what he fought so hard is to give me this opportunity, someone who he doesn't know, but he knew what the bigger fight was about. I agree. You know, I think that has been lost on the, the kids and the youth of this generation. All you need to succeed in life is just have that fire in your soul that is going to be like, you know, I don't care what, I don't care what people say. I don't care what people do to me. I'm going to succeed anyways. And I'm not doing it for anyone else but me and the people I care about. And I think that's been lost on people. They're so caught up in what they can't do or what people say they can't do that they never actually explore the possibilities of what they can do. Yes, and you really have to listen to the people who are there to guide you towards your dream. There will always be people there who will tell you that you can't do something, but your own voice and the positive voices around you have to be louder than the negative. Yeah, I would agree with that. Let's shift gears a little bit. We've talked about what motivated you to run for judge. In your own words, what is it mean to be a judge? Like, what is the role of a judge in our society according to you? Robert, for me, the role of a judge is simply this. A judge is there to apply the law. We have three branches of government for a reason. We don't make 
the laws. We follow the laws. A judge, of course, should have judicial temperament. We have to be open-minded yet understanding. Use our common sense, be firm, be punctual, have courage. But above all of this, we have to follow the law and treat every single person equally and fairly. Now, maybe this is just something typical of my generation, but a lot of people view judges as activists from the bench. And in fact, when I was in California, the teachers would, you know, focus on court cases a lot to see what their outcomes were. You know, and there was always some sort of political agenda attached to it. How do you feel about this sort of, I don't know, for lack of better words, activism in the bench? I feel like the role of a judge is so important to our own individual lives. I'm just going to take district court, for example. Majority of the cases are misdemeanor cases that are resolved. The things that affect most of our lives, you know, are simple things like speeding tickets, child custody matters, child support matters, larceny cases, simple assault cases, domestic violence cases. All of those types of cases are generally handled in district court. You have to research your judges because they affect a majority of your everyday life. That is why it's so important for the people to elect judges that are either going to follow the law or are you going to elect a judge that's going to create the law. And I think it's problematic because what most people need, what most people want is consistency and how a law is going to be applied. They want it to be done fairly, and they want it to be uniform. A judge who's gonna follow the law is going to do just that. Another judge who's more of an activist judge is going to apply it based upon how they feel. And that, that to me, isn't fair. It's not just. Because how that judge feels one day may not be the same as how they feel another day. And from what you're saying, that would inevitably create an instable law, where the law is being enforced, enforced on the whims of a judge, and then the law becomes arbitrary. It loses its meaning because its enforcement is based on an emotional state of an individual rather than the merits of the case. Yes, that can absolutely happen. I mean, what you're going to have to hope is that judge feels the same way today as they do tomorrow. Justice, the, justice is blind, and that's the way we have said it to be. That's why she has that blindfold. That's why she has the scale of justice. And that's the way the law should be applied. 
No, I agree. But justice should always be blind. It should never be deaf. And I think you made a really good point when you were describing the role of a judge that a judge needs to be fair. The law needs to be equal and uniform for everyone. Regardless of who comes in front of you. What are some problems that can arise aside from the ones that we've talked about when judges issue verdicts based on politics or emotion rather than the merits of the case? The problem with that is society is always going to have its problems. What is a conflict today may not be a conflict tomorrow, or what is popular today may not be what is popular tomorrow, but what has to be consistent is how you apply the law, how you interpret the law, regardless of the of the issue that surrounds the world. We have to be able to depend on the law being consistent. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that's why we have things like um, the Supreme Court and the Appeals Court to ensure that our laws are being forced consistently and fairly. Absolutely. That's our hope. That we all are approaching are doing. the end of our show. Let's take a few minutes to talk about how people can support you and where they can find you online. Any support that can be given would be greatly appreciated. Uh, I have a web page. It's sunnyforjudge.com. On my web page, if you live in Mecklenburg County, I can certainly need your help with working the polls, taking a yard sign, knocking on doors. Um, I know with COVID-19, things are very difficult, Robert, and uh, I know a lot of families are struggling. If you're able to do so, a small donation, as small as $5, which is a cup of coffee for some people would greatly help out the campaign and we would appreciate it tremendously. Again, that's sunnyforjudge.com. And I'm going to give you closing thoughts. Please take us out. Robert, what I want to say is there's a lot going on with our nation right now. I pray that we all stay safe. We've got COVID-19. We've got a lot of things that's happening across the U.S. And I know that we've got two sides to every story. Right now, we all need to be patient with one another. We need to keep an open mind. We need to be patient. And we need to be kind to one another. I pray for all of our safety. And I thank you, Robert, for giving me this opportunity to speak to you this evening. Well, you're very welcome, Sonny. I 
really had a great time having you on our show. You're always welcome back anytime. Well, that's our show, everyone. Stay tuned for more stories at RNHA News.